Section 17 of Biographical Memoir of John Wesley Powell, 1834-1902, by William Morris Davis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 17. Administration. The various aspects of the geological survey here summarized from successive volumes of annual reports reflect clearly enough the character impressed on this great organization by Powell as its director, but they give a very imperfect picture of the labor demanded of him in maintaining the survey. A governmental bureau depends on one side upon the annual appropriations of a changing Congress and on the other side upon the loyal and expert work of its many members. The continuation of such a bureau, and the fate of its members, might be left by a philosophical outsider entirely to the wisdom of congressmen, because, in the abstract, the bureau exists only to carry out the will of the people as expressed by their representatives. But in the concrete case of any single bureau, especially of a bureau originally established for the performance of a great and long-enduring task, many other considerations enter into the problem, as Powell well knew, and weighty among these is a reasonable assurance of steady employment for those who have in good faith cast their lot in the work of the bureau, with a fair expectation of its long existence and also an honorable ambition of the director regarding the distant completion of the important task committed to his charge, already begun or planned for the immediate future. Not only general continuity of work, but steadiness in rate of work, or at least the avoidance of a decreasing rate, is essential for an employee's peace of mind and a director's satisfaction. Increase may be welcomed, but retrenchment is at once an embarrassment to the director who is compelled to execute it and a hardship to those upon whom it is executed. The approach of the critical season when congressional appropriations are usually voted is, therefore, unavoidably a time of anxiety for the members of a bureau in which the work necessarily changes to some extent every year, for some members must lose their positions if the work is reduced and it is a particularly anxious time to the director, upon whom the responsibility for maintaining the bureau so largely depends, all the more so to a director who, like the major, felt a deep personal solicitude for the welfare of his fellow workers, as if they were members of his family. The internal organization of a scientific bureau is, as compared to this external responsibility, an enjoyable pastime to an able director surrounded by loyal associates. One can indeed feel, when looking over the annual administrative reports of the Geological Survey, that Powell had a lively pleasure in the internal part of his work, and the same impression was given to visitors who, from time to time, heard him humming a tune as he made his way through the corridors of the survey building to look at the work of some of his staff. If one may judge by the years of rapidly ascending development of the survey from 1881 to 1892, when Powell's staunch friends in Congress acted so heartily upon his suggestions and gave him practically every opportunity that he asked for, he had during that notable period as small a share of external anxiety as the head of a great bureau can expect. 
Yet it must not be overlooked that during this famous decade of geological evolution, no small amount of Powell's time was demanded in presenting his plans, even to the more friendly members of congressional committees, and no small measure of skill and patience was needed in winning the support of the less friendly members. But Powell was master here, as well as in a boat trip down the Colorado. He had enthusiasm for the work to be accomplished. He was deeply impressed with its great importance in the development of the country. He was honest in his presentation of its merits. Moreover, he understood human nature pretty well and knew how to deal with men of many kinds. And he had so full command of all pertinent facts that his opponents in congressional committees were often left with nothing but their opposition to stand on. He doubtless deserved the reputation gained in the minds of persons long acquainted with Washington affairs, of being, for the first ten years of his directorate, eminently successful in accomplishing what he set out to accomplish, and in securing such congressional enactments and appropriations as he wished to secure. Naturally, therefore, the growth of the geological survey was phenomenal, it began with an appropriation of $100,000 and with 39 members on its payroll for the year ending June 30, 1880. For 1881-82, the first full year of Powell's directorate, the figures were $156,000 and 50. In 1890-1891, the maximum appropriation of $719,000 was reached. The next year, there was a moderate decrease to $631,000. This unrivaled development was accompanied by a swelling volume of publications of all kinds. It is not too much to say that the eyes of the geological world were turned in astonished admiration at so unprecedented an expansion, which had rapidly brought the United States Geological Survey under Powell's leadership to be not only the largest organization of its kind, but the largest scientific organization of any kind in the world. Instead of Philadelphia, as at first suggested, Washington became the inevitable place of meeting for the International Geological Congress of 1891. At the close of the Western excursion that followed the Congress, Powell led a party of visiting geologists across the Arizona Plateau to the Colorado Canyon, and seemed to enjoy giving the European members a sample of the rough conditions under which travel had then to be prosecuted in the far west. The following winter, the Cuvier Prize was fittingly awarded to the collective work of the survey by the Academy of Sciences of Paris. End of section 17